Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WILK, here's U.S. Senator Pat Toomey joining us for his uh, visit, which he does once a month with us, and we're happy about it. Hi, Pat. Hey, Sue. Good to hear the Allman Brothers are back. It is great. And that's the real Almond Brothers, not Elton Johnny Lucas, like when you were here and you had the karaoke version. Remember those days? Yeah, no, no, that was the real McCoy, no <laughs> question about it. Uh, it was a nice visit we had. Thanks for having me in the studio uh, recently. It was fantastic. Uh, a lot of things have happened, by the way, since you had that visit with us. And, of course, the uh, Florida shooting is on the minds of uh, many people. In the aftermath of Sandy Hook, you tried to get together and do some uh, bipartisan legislation. Do you think uh, now is the time for that to return? Well, I think we have another shot at this. Uh, President Trump uh, has indicated uh, he was very supportive of um, what Senator Manchin and I uh, had tried to do, which, as you know, is just to have background checks at uh, when, whenever there are commercial sales. So in, under Pennsylvania law, we already require a background check on every single sale of a handgun. And there are no exceptions, whether it's at a gun show or between friends or whoever it might be. The law requires that. My legislation doesn't extend that far, but we do. We would require background checks for commercial sales, which we would consider sales at gun shows or over the Internet to be such sales. And so in Pennsylvania, that would bring in long gun purchases in those venues and just require a background check. That's all. And, um, you know, I, I'm a big Second Amendment supporter, Sue. I'm a gun owner. I'm a member of the Rod and Gun Club. Take my son shooting. And the Second Amendment is very, very important to me. I just don't see a contradiction between the Second Amendment and a background check to try to make it more difficult for people who have no right to the Second Amendment because they're a violent criminal or they're dangerously mentally ill. Those people, we should make it as hard as possible for them to ever obtain a firearm. So the president indicated a lot of support for this. Uh, if he sticks to that, then I think we've got a, a shot at it. Were you surprised, and maybe we're taking this out of uh, context, where the president uh, said during that meeting that you're afraid of the NRA. Did you? Well, how, did that, yeah, I was, how did that happen? Yeah, well, so the president doesn't know the history of Manchin Toomey, and, and I don't expect him to be a Senate historian, I you know I get it. Although if you don't know the history, it's better not to make an accusation about that history. Uh, you know, at the time we were offering Mansion to me, uh, there was there was really no discussion, there was no debate. Uh, the idea of changing the legal age for purchasing a long gun wasn't on anybody's radar. And I explained to the president at our meeting why I'm not convinced that that's a good idea. I'm uh, you know the vast majority of. 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, they buy rifles and shotguns because they want to go hunting or target shooting, and they are not a threat to anyone. And so to ban that whole category of Americans, who, by the way, they can go out and serve our country. I mean, think of the irony of this. 18 years old, somebody signs up, joins a Marine, spends two years risking his life up higher using a, a firearms to defend himself and defend all of us, finishes his two-year stint, comes back at 20, and we're going to tell him, sorry, 
you're not eligible to buy a firearm in America. Boy, that's that's a hard that's that's a hard sell to me. So anyway, um, you know, the president does occasionally, uh, uh, you know, make make some comments that uh, I I certainly don't always agree with. But the important thing here is he seems to have embraced the bipartisan effort that Joe Manchin and I introduced several years ago to have these background checks on commercial sales. And the president can be helpful if he chooses to, to get us the support we need to get this accomplished. What about uh, the the bump stock ban? We know that that was discussed last week. And unfortunately, that mostly led to the sale, the sale of more bump stocks. Uh, but well, how, yes. how do you see that? So the here's my view. We have had a many decades long consensus that fully automatic guns, in other words, machine guns, uh, those were going to restrict severely because of the really uh, you know, tremendous lethality that those guns are are capable of. So we have, for a very long time, made it extremely difficult for anyone to get a fully automatic weapon. Well, so the bump stock comes along, and it's a relatively simple but very clever device that has the effect of turning a semi-automatic gun, which is the one that fires a bullet every time you pull the trigger, but only one bullet at a time. And so the speed at which bullets can come out of it is a function of how quickly you can pull the trigger. It, it could be a lot, but it's much, much slower than a fully automatic gun. Well, the, the bump stock converts the semi-automatic one-shot-per-pull gun into the equivalent of a fully automatic machine gun in, in an operational sense. So, look, if one is effectively banned, I think the other should be effectively banned. We could do it through legislation. I'd be okay with that. We can also probably do it with regulation. I think the their existing law gives enough authority to the ATF that they could, uh, you know, prescribe these regulations. But either way, uh, I I think it's perfectly reasonable to uh, to put the same kind of restrictions on bump stocks that we have on fully automatic machine guns. How do you see uh, the situation with our schools in America in order to make them, I, I guess? Uh, universally safer so that every school everywhere is uh, somehow hardened or fortified and uh, it doesn't look like a soft target anymore because that seems to be one of the reasons why these uh, shooters are picking schools because they know they can get into them and they know they can do damage. So what can we do, Pat, in uh, either a legislative or a common sense way in order to fortify them better? Well, um, it's going to vary from school to school. It's going to vary regionally. It's going to be, you know, a, a very urban school might have different criteria than a very rural school, for instance. So I, I don't think we want to have a single one-size-fits-all solution. But I do think we probably need to to harden the target, as you say. You know, so that would mean limiting entrances and exits. It would mean. Uh, maybe you have to have some kind of mechanism for deciding uh, automatically limiting who can get into the building, whether it's a uh, card key or some other device that allows a person to go through. We might need more metal detectors uh, if we're going to do this, and it's a shame, right, that we have to do this in our schools, especially since the vast majority of them will never have any such experience. Uh, I also think that there is a role to have armed security personnel somewhere on the campus. 
um, for whatever the reason, the breakdown that appeared to occur in Parkland, as a general matter, armed security personnel are going to provide more security, not less. Um, that's something that some schools um, are certainly going to want to pursue. I think it's going to be a combination that will vary from uh, school to school and certainly from district to district. How about uh, the, the possibility of um, arming teachers and others in schools. We know that some schools have the school resource officer, and we know that in in Florida there there were officers there, which is just a, that's a shame and a tragedy. Right. But is, is there something else that needs to be looked at? Because we've heard um, some who say that's great and other people who say that that is a huge liability issue to arm people in our schools who might accidentally kill the wrong person. Yeah, well, again, I think we've got to be very, very careful, and this, uh, the same circumstances won't prevail everywhere. I think it, it depends on the circumstances. Uh, the vast majority of teachers are never going to be armed, don't want to be armed, aren't trained to be armed, and that's fine. Um, are there some teachers who are ex-military, very well-trained, completely competent with the firearm? Maybe they're ex-horsemen, in fact, and having them armed would be advantageous. It, you know, schools have a lot of personnel who are not teachers, and maybe there's a security component there. So uh, I do think that in many cases some kind of armed security capability is uh, is going to be helpful. What, what do you think will happen, though? I mean, there's all these ideas out there, but what do you think is the – what do you think is – um, reasonable and fair, because you know, Pat, this this gun issue is a wedge issue, and, and it, it divides people terribly. I know you've teamed up with uh, Joe Manchin, who is a Democrat, and you're trying to do something. But what do you think is the the thing or the things that we can do that actually will pass? All right. So the things we can do that actually have a chance to pass. One is the legislation that I'm introducing today with Chris Coons, uh, my Democratic colleague from Delaware which is a very modest bill, but it's helpful, and that is let's do a better job of enforcing the laws that are already on the books. So, for instance, it's a felony for somebody who has a criminal history, who's a, a, a convicted felon, to apply to purchase a gun and deny their criminal history on the form. You know what? It happens every single day, and it happens every day, and it's almost never prosecuted. So we've got a bill that says, well, it's very simple, it says when the federal government does the background check for a state, which it does for the vast majority of states, and somebody commits this crime of denying their criminal history in an attempt to buy a gun that they're not supposed to be able to buy, then the federal government will notify the law enforcement leadership of that state so that the state can then decide whether or not they want to prosecute this person. You think about it, it's a, it's, I, I think it's a very constructive step because someone who has that criminal background and then commits this additional crime of attempting to get a firearm and lying about their criminal background, committing yet another felony, they're probably back to their criminal ways. And so this gives the state law enforcement a tool, it gives them the information to go ahead and certainly monitor that person arrest them if they choose, prosecute. It doesn't mandate that the states actually prosecute these people for these crimes, but it makes it possible to prosecute these people. Uh, that is a modest step in the right direction of better enforcement of existing law. 
I think that can pass. We have bipartisan support. I have several Republican senators who are co-sponsors, a number of Democrats. It's a small step. It's an example of the kind of thing that I really do think we can pass. I think we could pass legislation that would forbid terrorists who are on a no-fly list from being able to buy a firearm. I think that's a no-brainer, and we ought to be able to get that done. I think there's a chance that my legislation with Senator Manchin that would broaden background checks to apply at commercial venues uh, where they don't apply today, have that background check take place. I think that's that's got a real shot. But I do, and, and I've it's a long answer, Sue. I apologize. But I, I want to say none of these individually nor the sum of all of these bills, if signed into law, none of them guarantee an end to these horrendous massacres because at the end of the day, it's a serious mental health problem, and a determined person can find a way to get a gun even with all these obstacles. I think all these obstacles should be in the way. We should make it as hard as possible. That's why I support the policy. But we've got to better understand what goes wrong in the minds of these young men that they decide they're going to go and massacre uh, these, you know, huge numbers of completely innocent and vulnerable people. And by the way, they're usually on a suicide mission. The, the shooter in Parkland apparently was not, but usually it ends with the shooter killing himself before the police get there. It, it's a very, very uh, horrifying madness that these people descend into, and we're not really going to solve this problem until we understand how to identify it early and do something about it. Yeah, and in the case of this uh, Parkland shooter, he seemed to be on just about everybody's radar, and it's almost unbelievable that he somehow wasn't uh, sidelined uh, in the process, but I, I guess that's just the way it is. Well, we, we need to understand that better. Clearly, there were multiple breakdowns. You're absolutely right. All the warnings were there. People in the community did exactly what they've been asked to do, right? If you see something, say something. Well, they were saying very specifically that this boy is badly disturbed. He has got guns. He is going to try to kill people, probably at his school. I mean, they spelled it out. They knew what was coming, and yet... Uh, the appropriate steps weren't taken. So we absolutely have to uh, understand what went wrong there and try to prevent that from happening again. And uh, we're kind of running out of time, but in a, a short answer kind of way, Pat, can you talk about uh, the efficacy so far of the tax cuts? Oh, it's been fantastic. We are now over 4 million Americans working for over 400 companies that have received pay raises, bonuses, contributions to their pension plans, or some combination of those things directly attributable to the tax cut. And, and that's what we know of because the companies have specified that that's the reason they were able to do it. We know it's happened many more times that we're just not aware of or the reason wasn't attributed to the tax reform. So the fact is that's happening. Millions and millions of Americans have seen an increase in their take-home pay because the withholding has gone down because they owe less in taxes. That's been terrific. And I'm very confident the best is yet to come as businesses take advantage of the incentives to invest more in their business, invest more in their employees, and grow. It's going to create more demand for workers, more job opportunities, and upward pressure on wages. So I'm really very pleased with how it's beginning, and I'm very bullish about how it proceeds. All right, uh, U.S. Senator Pat Toomey, we've got to let you go, but thanks, as always, for taking this time with us. We sure do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Sue. All right.
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 